Hello, and welcome to the Flip and Shift podcast. My name is Julie Walls. This podcast was based on the Flip and Shift's tagline, flipping your thinking to then shifting your behavior. The Flip and Shift podcast focuses on temperament to then how we evolve in our thinking to which influences our behaviors. We create belief systems throughout life, which affects the outcomes in our lives. Did you know that you can reprogram these belief systems? To produce the outcomes you so desire. No matter what you're dealing with, there will always be a solution for you. So, this podcast should give you some hope. Yay! With each episode, we'll be chatting with leading experts in the field that have overcome struggles of their own. They found their way to overcome areas in their lives that needed focus and are now actually helping others to find their way. We all have a story to share. Let's learn from our past to change our future, and most importantly, inspire and help others along the way. If you are wanting to feel empowered, inspired, and are ready to make those changes in your life, you are subscribed to the right podcast. And hey, thank you so much for your support. Now, grab your favorite drink or snack, turn up the volume, kick back, and enjoy this chat. Hey, you guys, this is Julie Wallace from the Flip and Shift podcast. I'm here to inspire and share the stories of experts who have gone through a journey, found their way, and are now inspiring and helping others. Today, we have an amazing guest with us. I'm so excited to share with you guys. But before I do, I want to explain a little bit about our amazing guest today. Today, we are chatting with Sean Bean, the founder of Matrix Health and Wellness, who is also dubbed in the medical world as the metabolic detective of integrative health. He is a health consultant and a coach. Sean can interpret your S&Ps to unearth hidden factors that may be affecting your overall health. Sean is certified in neuroendoimmunology, a neurolinguistic practitioner, as well as a clinical hypnotherapist. He is here to discuss his own health story, his experience with working with clients, as well as his overall take on epigenetics, genetics, and the overall bodily systems and what it takes to achieve health goals. Okay, John, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. It's beautiful outside. We've got snow everywhere and my kids are ready to go skiing. Yay. <laughs> so we've where got, are you we from, got over, I'm originally from Pennsylvania. And we just migrated to Michigan to be more with my round family support because we just had a set of uh, twins. So then it can be quite a handful. And because of my own health issue and the current status I was in, we had to literally move in order for me to maintain my wellness. So this was had multiple factors that we decided to do this. And it's been very helpful in many, many ways. So I look forward to seeing what the future holds. Yeah. Well, I can relate to that because I worked with you and you (laughs) shared with me when we went through my health history and where I lived. And you guys, Sean is amazing. I highly recommend him. So I lived in the Midwest. And as you know, you know how to calculate what the air quality is and everything else. And I noticed that in my area, a lot of people were starting to get the thyroid issues a lot of taxing of the adrenals. It was popping up all over the area that I was in. It was becoming an epidemic. So like you, we decided to move out West, (laughs) which has been awesome. So Michigan, you said. Yeah, Michigan has its good days. It has its bad days. There's a lot of overcast here. I've got my sun lamp. I've got my vitamin D lamp. 
I've got my red light lamp, so it's been helping tremendously. So as long as we keep those neurotransmitters up and keep that thyroid in check, we're all good to go out here. Right. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So now before we get into your unbelievable professional background, which it just blows my mind, but I want folks to learn a little, just a little tidbit about your story, some of the struggles that you've encountered and what led you into deciding to help others. Basically my journey begins was I was in a high performance athlete, bodybuilder. We pushed ourselves to the limit and, you know, through improper dieting, lack of nutrition, we put our body into a state of severe inflammation this opened up the door to gut dysbiosis problems along with glutathione deficiencies to start the cascade that predispositioned to complications of immune dysfunction, which the idea of having sushi for six and a half hours after a contest, which you depleted your immune system, wasn't the best idea. So within 48 hours of the sushi, I began to have gastrointestinal issues. I went to the doctor completing a bloating they didn't believe in parasites back then when it was at the onset. Things kind of snowball from there to where, you know, my body went to a total stress response, not realizing it. I began to have amnesia. I started to lose muscle mass. My weight started to drop. That was the first sign. Then the icing on the cake was when I moved into a house that was at of a person with cerebral palsy which I agreed to help out with. Later, I found out that being in there a month, I woke up with total amnesia. Upon review of further data, my mom was saying, oh yeah, we were cleaning up the black stuff all over the refrigerator. And I didn't know it was mold. So it was such a big mold hip that, you know, I literally woke up with three hours of amnesia, didn't know who I was, where I was, stuttering nonstop. I remember calling into work that day. I didn't know who I was talking to. I was babbling and I called my mother first and scared her because she didn't know who was on the other line. So I had a severe, what we call brain on fire, as we now know, where we had the pro-inflammatory cytokine storm hit the brain. From there, that opened up the door to a long flight of SIBO, dysbiosis. Nine months later, I had a stool sample test. I had severe bacteria overgrowth that just cascaded within the first Nine months, I lost 100 pounds of lean muscle tissue despite eating three and 4,000 calories a day. This went on to doctor after doctor for several years. And I, one of the first things I told the doctors, I said, you know, find out what's deficient and put it back in when I first started this journey. And when I first started the journey, they told me that the doctor said they've seen the best cholesterol they've ever seen before. My total cholesterol was 85, which was unheard of. Now, what's the range for that for those folks that are listening? If your cholesterol level goes below 160, it causes structural imbalances inside the brain that can increase dementia, it can increase suicide, it can increase all kinds of neurological inflammation because you know you don't want low cholesterol, you want higher cholesterol because the cholesterol can go in and actually help reduce the inflammation inside the cell membrane. When your cholesterol drops, your body's in a state of inflammation, that is not a good sign. That's one of the worst signs you can have. And we normally see this, you know, response to mold because of the fact the specific mold actually uh, secretes a statin-like toxin that actually causes your cholesterol level to drop. So when I'm looking at clients that have cholesterol level below 150, 160, we get into their details, then you know that the probability of mold is high on the radar, not necessarily an absolute, 
but it tells you that there's something going on that's outside the norm. But the doctors will only tell you that, hey, you're inside the normal range. Well, the normal range for cholesterol used to be 120 at the low end. Now it's at 100. Mm. So Interesting. as we get sicker as a nation, the lab ranges are starting to change. And that's why when I'm on this journey, you know, free T3 begun at 2.5 and ended at 4.2. Now it begins at 2.0. So the ranges have shifted. I mean, I've been practicing this medical menagerie for years and I've seen the shift in ranges. And what happens is, is I go by what the older ranges are versus the new ranges. And this became a whole cascade because, you know, I went to doctor, to doctor, to doctor, Oh, you're normal. You're normal. You're in the normal range, but they know my, I was totally symptomatic. And then you get labeled as a hypochondriac. Oh yeah. That that's so relatable. It totally is. Oh yeah. And then you have to go, you know, I had, I actually got disability for, and I actually won one of the first court cases in Pennsylvania history because of disability case for hypothyroidism. It was the most amazing thing. When I came out of there, the lawyer looked at me and he just shook his head. I'm like, oh, I lost. He goes, no, you won. And he was amazed. So Is I that actually- because had, of the research that you did? To that was because of the research that I did, the doctor that I was working with, how he presented the case. I had the clinical documentation present because at one time, even on thyroid meds, I wasn't even come nowhere near the normal, inside the range even. So that was the determining factor was, we actually had clinical data showing that, hey, my, my free T3 levels were at 1.5, wow. even on medication. Sure. So sure. we had the clinical data. This went on for a little bit. I actually started my relationship with the doctor. We started working. This is how I got into medicine was we actually started, hey, he knew he was open-minded. So we used our combined knowledges to work on complex cases. So I learned the traditional medicine side from him and he learned and we worked in collaboration with complex cases for up to 10 years. Wow. So you do not have a background essentially in, in that field, but you learned from being in the clinical experience, correct? Yes. I'm not a medical doctor. I haven't read, went to medical school. Oh, my bachelor's is in science, uh, exercise science, kinesiology. So I do have the background, but everything I've learned over the years was all self-taught. Holy crap. That's amazing. I mean, cause this is really complicated stuff. To wrap your head around. Well, because of the fact that I speculate that the mold may have triggered the genetic predisposition to Asperger's, which I had all the common traits when I was younger to the 100th degree, because I didn't go to normal school. I went to child development, but in child development, I was a kid that was, you know, told to stop counting after 200 when the kids couldn't count to 10. I was doing mathematical equations far beyond my age bracket. So I was labeled as, we call them gifted, but also you had a learning disability like dyslexia. So we had incredible intellect, but we also had our own learning disabilities. And speech impediment was more of my first, but I found out that speech impediment actually comes from a gene expression called GAMT. So whenever I see GAMT on a genetic report, I normally ask, I said, by the way, have you been to speech therapy or you had delayed speech? People are just amazed. How did you know? I said, well, I had the same thing. I went through speech therapy. I never spoke for four to four or five years. I always point to everything. And when I went to speech therapy, I was able to basically not shut up. So to speak. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Then, well, interesting. So the genetics I've learned 
reflect into my own journey and my own biochemistry and medical history. Wow, that's amazing. So now here's my question for you. You are considered, and you know, I've been in the chronic illness world, unfortunately, for quite a period of time. You are considered by by most the metabolic detective. Can you further explain why you were labeled that? Basically, what happens is is traditional medicine looks at one dimensional, where I look at three-dimensional plane. It's kind of like when clients come to me, it's like when they leave, they feel like they they just left the matrix. Because what I do is, is I take this profound amount of information, I'm able to connect the dots through scientific research, literature, and evidence-based medicine to where, you know, when I present a report to a doctor, I can actually go through the report, give them the recommendations, but also give them the scientific literature and recommendations to support this. Because not have a medical degree, you have to kind of back yourself up with clinical research. So this is, can be a, you know, I can be a doctor's best friend or I can be their worst foe because it's when egos gets into the way and I'm here to help educate them on how healed to, Hey, show them hidden patterns, you know, get out of the specialist mentality and look into the, to the generalist mentality by looking at things from a different set of eyes. And I've worked with many, many functional medicine doctors. And when I get done through my mentoring with them, they're just like, Sean, it's like everything that I just learned at IFM, it's not wrong, but it's done in the wrong sequences. So what I do is as a metabolic detective, I reverse engineer chronic illness through looking at metabolic pathways, gene expressions, and seeing how all of them are interlinked with clinical data and laboratory reports. Because sometimes you can just use a journal, you know, some people come to me with elaborate lab work, like you just spend $6,000, which you didn't have to do. When all you could do, if you understand the hidden patterns that were shown in here, then we could take that $6,000 and put it towards something else. Same thing with the genetic reports. The genetic reports are phenomenal. They are the map. But what happens is the clinical testing dictates in your history, the actual expression of those genes. So when people come to me with like an organic acid test, I can, I've already mapped out 18 different gene expressions on the organic acid test. And that way you can... Oh yeah. I remember I had this on my gene report. I had this on my gene report. I'm like, I know that, you know, I can see the actual expressions. It's good to know from a standpoint of what the map is. So you don't fall through the hole, but you got to know how to get around the hole in order to overcome it. And that's where a lot of these practitioners, you know, I'm labeled metabolic detective because I'm like, listen, this practitioner has a really good idea, but because you're going down this pathway, this recommendation worked for this pathway based upon, you know, this genetic expression, you take this, but because of these other factors that aren't being looked at, it's backfiring on you. So the problem is, is when we look at one of the things that I've taught a lot of practitioners is it's good to look at the potential genetic expression in the pathway. And then like, for example, MTHFR, MTHFR has to do with the folate pathway, excuse me. You don't want to take folic acid because it blocks the actual active folate, which is the 5-methylfolate, from binding to the receptor site, especially if you have FLR2, which is folic acid receptor. You can actually, autistic kids usually have what's called folic acid receptor antibodies, which basically are folic receptor antibodies. What they do is they block the folate from getting to its active form or latching onto the receptor site. So kids that have a neurotube defect or other kind of neurological problems, the mother may eat dairy during pregnancy or that they were taking too much synthetic folic acid and not taking the proper form. 
because when I work with women that are pregnant, doctors are giving them 5-methylfolate, which is fine. The 5-methylfolate gets into the, the methylation cycle, but they're not doing anything with the DNA, which is the folinic acid. So when you're going into pregnancy, you want a combination of 50% methylfolate with 50% folinic acid to cover your terms. Because sometimes the methylfolate does wonders in one area, but you're forgetting about the other. Yeah. Or people come to me, I have MTH4, I'm taking 5-methylfolate, but you still can't conceive, okay? So in that situation... Are you on thyroid meds? Yes, I'm on thyroid meds. You look at the thyroid panel. Okay, looks good. Problem is, is your doctor is not properly prescribing medicine. So what you do is they were on T4, you back them off, you give them a little bit of armor thyroid or a little bit of different form of over-the-counter to make things convert. Guess what? Here's a lady who's spent $30,000 on fertility clinics, was told to go home and adopt, destroyed her. Yeah. And she just told me, you know, I was in the doctor's office day and day and she owed me her heard me talking to one of her friends that came in and she's like, I gotta go see him. And then when she came back eight weeks later, I saw, I looked at her, I said, you're pregnant and her mouth dropped because you could see the glow in, in the woman when they're pregnant. You just, they just have a glow about them that you can pick up on it. And I was notorious for doing that because I used to work at a, a place and I would go around and said, you're pregnant. Cause as a personal trainer, my eyes were, you know, trained to see changes in women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm good, some bad, but I could see that. I could see that. I'm like, your skin's clearing up. Your acne's clearing up. You're pregnant. And the woman's are like, what are you talking about? And then they went and said, Sean, I don't know how you knew, but I was pregnant. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's just, you know, you just get to know and to see the changes in people that you haven't seen for a while, you know, but here a lady spent $30,000 was told to go home and adopt and because they were treating the mthfr they missed the part of the equation was you have to have active thyroid for the mthfr to actually work sometimes for conception can i just interrupt real quick just i want to throw something out there and i I see how your brain is working because you're looking at it must just be so on hyperdrive because you're looking at the chemical reactions that are taking place, right? Like the catalyst that's happening. So you're kind of going back in time. And for those folks that are in chronic illness, because I'm, I'm not, you know, you're the expert. So I'm trying to understand your brain and how it does this work. It truly is an art form, right? Okay. Yes. So a person comes in, is having all these problems. Your mind immediately, the detective piece to this is you're going backwards in time asking the questions versus some folks that go into their doctor's office. And I'm not negating doctors or anything, you know, I'm not trying to, yes, absolutely. You're on, you and I are on the same page with that. I remember having an, an appointment, the initial appointment with you, you're asking very, you know, where did you live? What was your history? You're kind of starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together and how I got into that state of sick. Mm-hmm. And so is that what you do in your initial consultation? You're not just looking at the labs, you're going. No, basically what I'm doing is, is I'm reverse engineering the chronic illness by looking at the specific history and then looking at the labs to ask the specific questions. And, you know, the most important question I ask is what makes you feel good and what makes you feel bad? Because if you know what makes them feel good and makes them feel bad, tells you what pathways are working, what pathways are blocked. And you can reverse engineer that based upon, you know, potential root cause of the problem. You know, like, for example, if you have mold toxicity, mold toxicity, you know, your aldehyde pathway is not working. So on that situation, it would be like thiamine, it'd be like B5, it'd be like molybdenum. Okay. 
Then you can go a step further is, is aldehydes comes from mycotoxins. So mycotoxins are also a derivative of candida, candiditis and yeast. It doesn't have to just be fungal, but it's all labeled as mycotoxins. But mycotoxins actually impact the aldehyde pathway because it secretes an enzyme called alcohol, um, called um, basically wood grain alcohol. But if you don't have the, not just the genes, the genes only give you a 30% probability. But if you're low in molybdenum, low in alcohol, B1, B5, more so molybdenum and alcohol, molybdenum and zinc, because that activates the pathway called the alcohol dehydrogenase pathway, which is necessary to break down the acetaldehyde. You know, that's why people with mold and stuff, they tend to have problems with brain fog because they feel drunk all the time. And what happens is those byproducts go on into the liver, depending upon the genetic pathways, the potential, but the absolutes of the pathways, you know, maybe your trash man's not coming around fast enough to take the trash out, okay? Because your phase one is fast, phase two is slow. But then you have to reverse engineer it to find out what pathway out of that phase two is not working right. You know, is there gut dysbiosis? Is there mold? Is there emotional trauma? Is there, you know, roundup? So you just have to kind of look at the clinical presentation, the labs, and then just ask the simple questions. Because sometimes the people may not express being in mold and having certain symptoms. But when you get the organic acid test back, you see that there's mold markers there. You see that the number 60, which is the you know, erotic acid is extremely low, tells me that's from a past exposure because that's your phosphatidylcholine pathway, which is your cell membrane. So in that situation, the low erotic acid is indicative of PEMT, which is the mechanism by which phosphatidylcholine synthesizes. Now, if you have low erotic acid and then you also have a person who's postmenopausal, guess what? You're in a double whammy. Because of the PMT gene expression, you're not synthesizing phosphatidylcholine, but then you have estrogen not present because estrogen stimulates not the gene, but the process by which phosphatidylcholine is synthesis through the PMT pathway. So That's that amazing. way, if people come in that are postmenopausal, all of a sudden that nine times out of 10, they got non-alcoholic fatty liver. So therefore they're going to be predispositioned. Sometimes they may have, have higher SHBGs from being on birth control. Birth control has been shown to increase sex hormone binding globulin after discontinuation of five years or more. So that leaves them in a low testosterone, even though their testosterone level is normal, their free testosterone levels in the garbage can because the SHBG is locking it up, not making it bioavailable to the body. So you have women coming in that they go to their doctor, oh, your testosterone level is fine. It's not because they're not looking at the other factors that are, you may have a 12 inch pizza, but how much pepperoni is on that pizza? Okay. Are you getting shafted or do you have a lot of it? And just that marker alone goes up with inflammation, specifically gut and liver, often due to lipopolysaccharides that you can see coming from mold or other pathogens that trigger the inflammatory responses. I want to ask you with a lot of your clients, I know you did the same thing for me, which a lot of this stuff is familiar talks that we had in the past. Are you finding a lot of folks are, I'm just you know throwing a question at you, that they're dealing with mold problems? Here's the problem. We've been around mold for millennium, okay? Right. The problem is, is the other environmental factors, emotional stress are triggering the gene expressions that are allowing the mold, past mold exposures to come forth. Mm-hmm. So if the mold's always been there. The problem is, is the body's been trapped in tissues and now it's starting to arise. That's where 
if like, you know, I've been mobile all my life. The problem was, is once I got to that breaking point, my genes kicked on and it started to express. So the expression was when the expression of the mole became problematic when my SHBG started rising. When my SHBG started rising, that is usually from a pro-inflammatory cytokine storm that mold can tend to derive. Mold also affects the mucosa barrier, which turns your bile flow into sludge. And then when it turns it into sludge, it actually turns into, instead of an antimicrobial, it turns into an antibiotic. Okay, yeah. So here you are with a mold toxin, then you end up with SIBO. The problem is, is you get a person coming to you, I have SIBO. I'm like, okay, that's great. But what, what are the preliminary factors that led you into having that SIBO? And here they're going to gut specialists, this specialist. Um, I run a simple test, antidiuretic hormone test. If your antidiuretic hormone test is less than 0.8, you might as well throw lime and mold right on the radar. Okay. So for a hundred dollar test, you can identify that, you know, you have gut problems, not getting better. Antidiuretic hormone is going to be point, you know, less than 0.8. And that's common in typical mold cases. So you could have, you know, when antidiuretic hormones low, it's lime or mold right on the bat then you have to use your diagnostic skills, history taking, and other laboratory work to determine that. You know, that's why when we look, you know, I can look at a CBC and CMP and be able to tell the gut. I can tell who's got, you know, diamino oxidase pathway blocked. I can tell who's got Lyme. I can tell who's got, you know, MMAB, MAT1, MMAB, any kind of the other genetic factors associated with the um, vitamin B12 transport. So can I ask you, when, when you're starting to find kind of like those aha, how then do you start determining the areas of where you need to start building up those deficiencies and reversing the, the reaction that's happening in the body? It's not always about changing the deficiency. Okay? okay. The reason being is, is a lot of practitioners play the game, fill the gas tank. That doesn't fly in a lot of situations. Okay. Specifically hormones. If you had a person who is, you know, CYP2A1 or CYP1B1, you don't want to give the person bioidentical hormones without looking at the 4-hydroxyesterone, 2,16-hydroxyesterone to make sure that pathways opened up. Otherwise, you're just adding fuel to the fire and actually increasing chances of estrogen-related cancers, both in males and females. So sometimes you have to get the total picture to know what to do because, you know, one person came in me you know, testosterone, estrogen, DHEA, growth hormone, and then thyroid. And then you look, it's like, wow, your body's going into cell danger response because your free cortisol is higher than your metabolized cortisol. So your body's going through a cell danger response. So when you're putting on thyroid medication, you're trying to push something that's not supposed to be doing it. So too many people are over-medicated. They're not looking at the root cause of the problem because when I saw a person that had high estrogen, they had high estrogen low progesterone. They had thyroid dysfunction. The problem was, is it was their adrenals. Once they fixed the adrenal glands, the thing is, is it was gut. The gut was affecting the adrenals. The adrenals were affecting the production of the sex hormones and also the thyroid. So you said that they were on the, the thyroid was the problem and the, the, the dosing of the thyroid was the problem. Were they on medication? The dosing of the thyroid problem problem was they didn't need to be put on hormones in the first place. Gotcha. When, I got, when I got the levels back, they had severe dysbiosis, SIBO, mold. They also had low cortisol, which they were being put on for. And all the doctor had to do was, is to look at the gut or look at the detail and further in order to know that the sequence of events that should have been done. And people, when people leave 
they're extremely upset because this wasn't looked at first. Because just because your TSH is above two doesn't mean you should be put on thyroid meds, okay? Functional medicine has some good philosophies. The problem is with functional medicine is, is there's specialists out there. You've got mold, they'll treat you for mold. You've got Lyme, they'll treat you for Lyme. But I can't tell how many people end up that have Lyme to actually treat the mold, get better. Or I actually treat the SIBO and actually save the person's life because Lyme treatment was basically killing them. Yep. I can totally relate to that. That was, you know, again, I mean, I've been at this for 14 years. However, backtracking, and I want to get your opinion on this. Are you seeing that that everything was kill protocol when I started my chronic health journey with Lyme? You were the one that pointed out the mold. (laughs) You were like, oh, you've lived in mold before. But before that, every single, you know, I, you, I just want to get your thoughts on this before people come to you. They've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on trying to heal themselves. And honestly, it's, I feel, I feel like a lot of it's because it's the repair and you can correct me on this of what the doctors were doing to kill everything. You know, you have an enemy in sight, Bartonella, Babesia, you know, all of the, those components. So their mentality or their thought process was attack, 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 kill, 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 put you on multi-antibiotic cocktails, which happened to me, you lose, you know, 10 pounds a week (laughs) and your liver's just enzymes are out of the roof, sky level. So I know for everyone that I've talked to and has been in this world, the frustration is there. And then on top of that, there's been so much damage. (laughs) Are you seeing that they've been on kill protocols for so long, but is that changing? Is that shifting to, you know, the work that you're doing? Are Are you seeing any changes? A little bit, but not like needs be done. That's why I'm one of the drivers, mine is education for doctors. And that way, my philosophy is, is how about we try to reset the immune system, do what mother nature intended to be. So it can go on and take care of the Lyme. It can go ahead and take care of the mold. Hey, if it puts in remission, great. Okay. Then let's strengthen our resilience to stress so that it stays in check. Okay. Can you kill Lyme? That's been the number one question. I just think the majority of the scenario is beat it back in submission and put it back into its cage. But the problem is you put it back into a cage and the locks never put back on or it's rusty. And then as soon as you hit a stressor, it comes straight out again. That's why, you know, stress management, regulation of, you know, cellular inflammation by looking at the deeper levels that are not looked at, you know, you may have three or four fuels to the fire, but if you don't look at these other inflammatory, you know, other factors driving inflammation, you could be looking at a false picture to where it can multiply by factors of 10. And if your immune system is dealing with these other factors, you won't be able to get past the Lyme or the mold. Because one of the things I do in Lyme and mold is, is I pull the vitamin D ASAP. Because what you're doing is, is you're setting up a high probability to, for failure. Because one of the things I've learned from Dr. Leslie Fine, who learned it from Trevor Marshall, was that if you lower vitamin D, it actually enhances the effect of the antibiotics. Otherwise, the higher the vitamin D, you got to take four times the antibiotics to get the clinical response. And also vitamin D is not just a hormone. It's not just a vitamin, it's quasi-hormone. So it activates on 900 different pathways in the body. You know, you got growth hormone, you got dopamine, you've got, you know, many, many more. Okay. But folks are low in vitamin D. They're seeing across the board, right? You're, but <laughs> what, what's your thoughts on that? <laughs> They're low in vitamin D because their body's going through a cell danger response. Okay. 
When your body goes into a cell danger response, it lowers vitamin D as a protective mechanism. It lowers ferritin as a protective mechanism. It raises up reverse T3. So these doctors that are treating reverse T3 only are doing a huge disservice to the body because your body puts on the brakes for self-preservation, okay? It's like, would you want to start your car in a garage that you have the door closed down? No, you'll suffocate. And that's exactly what's happening in this scenario is the body is slowing itself down in self-preservation. It's got these negative feedback loops and the doctors aren't understanding, okay? If the doctors understand negative feedback loops within the hormone room, the endocrine pathways, and you know a simple stress response, it would negate probably a majority of the issues that are people dealing with and get them the proper, I don't say treatment, but get them the proper care that they need to get. You know, I've got people coming to me for Lyme mold, everything else. Just one simple test, $100, nailed it, okay? That's why their treatment wasn't working. If you have 10 fuels to the fire when you're only looking at three and you don't address that one that's adding the seven more, you're just going to be spinning your wheels. Oh, absolutely. And the frustration is real. I mean, there's, and I want to back up a bit just to hit on a one point. You brought it up. I see a huge shift in folks that are in the Lyme community that have, you know, exhausted all their energies on trying to fix problems within their bodies, but now they're shifting towards emotional, you know, the, the, the pain and the, the angst and just, you know, being called a hypochondriac, like you've experienced and, not getting their answers or losing their hope. You are a NLP practitioner and a clinical hypnotherapy practitioner, correct? Yeah, but I just got that training just to have those. I don't really do it, but I do taking care of the emotional you know, part because mm-hmm. emotion will go on and cause gene expression. It's always like that tiger chasing you and you never know the reason why. And the right. problem is, is there's always sometimes a disagreement between the conscious and subconscious mind. Right. And it's always the subconscious mind that's going to dictate, okay, I think, I forgot who said it, but we live in 90% of a subconscious world, not a 20, 10% is actually conscious. Right. That's right. Yeah. And it's interesting because your approach is at the cellular level, then you're looking at, you know, how the body's processing expression factors, and then you're adding the the ability to help folks with the emotional component to keep them in remission which is massive. You're all encompassing. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, the emotional side, I usually refer out, but if I, I'll pick it up, but if I pick them like, listen, it's like, you've got to think about, you know, DNR, or maybe we have to do some adrenal work before doing DNR, but I have practitioners I work with that specialize in this area. They've helped me out tremendously. You know, they can go in and, you know, you know, decode you, you know, go into your super conscious mind and, you know, take that fear away that maybe your mother caused you and maybe 20 minutes later, right back down, you know, who was your biggest pain in the backside and right. your mom's name's no longer there yeah. because they remove it within like 20 minutes like that. It's, it's a technique. It's, there's a few practitioners I work with, but yeah, especially people have mold. There's a constitution for holding on and not letting go. And then you look at the genetics, you see NAT, you see BHMT, PEMT. Those are all main factors that are indicative of mold, CYP2A1 to CYP1A2. Because as soon as I see look on a generator four, I'm like, as soon as I see CYP2A1 or 1A2, I'm like, mold's on the radar. Right, right. Why? Because that pathway works with DIM. And DIM is also not just taking care of estrogen, DIM also activates NERF2. And DIM has been a huge component in people dealing with detoxifying mold because it's a NERF2 inhibitor. It's a nerf two promoter. 
So the detoxification piece to this is, do you feel that that's the, one of the most critical pieces? Detoxification has been exploited, the terminology. Okay. So we don't detox, we redox before we detox. Because you can't crap into a toilet that's constantly plugged up all the time. You've got to plunge it, okay? And that's what people are doing. You know, people are going on fast, which is great. It may help you short term, but you're also adding stress to your body. You're causing insulin dysregulation going on. People that are in adrenal insufficiency shouldn't be fasting in the first place because it's one of the worst things that you can do. You know, hey, if you want to fast like 24 hours once a week, cool. 18 hours, 24, perfectly fine to reset your autophagy. Okay. Right. Well, and you know, I want to just plug on that because there's a huge biohacking, you know, market. I mean, I just looking at the research alone, they're projecting $65.4 billion industry in the next six years, which just is mind blowing to me. But and I, and I, you know, I'm just going to say that Dr. Mindy Pels, I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She has a huge following for biohackers with fasting. She gives you dry fasting tips, all these pieces. What's your thoughts on that? I think if it's used moderation, I mean, I have people that go on water fast for 36 days. I mean, there's a point to where it becomes benefit to risk ratio. Right. Normally what I would do on a fast is, is you can use a product that's called MAPS Aminos. What MAPS Aminos does is MAPS Aminos gives you protein that's highly valuable to the body to where it doesn't throw you out of what you're trying to achieve. It actually increases autophagy. And the reason being is, is you may take in five grams of maps aminos, but it's equivalent to almost 30 grams of actual whey protein. So sometimes as long as you're not constipated, I'll have people just ramp that stuff up. And here they are gaining muscle mass going into these fasts because they're getting bioavailable protein, which is feeding the body, which is giving them the eight essential amino acids necessary. Sometimes there's ketones, you know, that people are utilizing now that may be beneficial. So you can still achieve the same results and still carry on some nutrients in that regards. So she talks to those endurance, you know, athletes and she, and she says there's actual a genetic factor that comes into play where people are hacking that to try to get the expression turned on because what it does is, and you know, this, I mean, I'm just, telling you something you already know, but it actually helps with a faster regenerative, I, I guess, with the muscles. Well, there's there's mTOR and AMPK. Yes. And it's the balance between the mTOR and AMPK that's going to allow that to happen. The problem mm-hmm. is, is like estrogen dominance, insulin resistance, they're more mTOR. Okay. Gotcha. Where they need to be more AMPK. Because if you take something like berberine, berberine is more AMPK which actually strengthens, which decreases the mTOR. Can I ask you then with your background, which is mind blowing, you, you understand all the chemical kind of like the reaction factors that are happening within the body, but then did you had to take your studies with the 10 years where you were with that doctor to learn about homeopathic meds and, and herbals and supplements out there? How do you kind of take some of it and go, Okay, that's going to help. I mean, what do you do? Do you just constantly educate yourself on it? <laughs> Basically, what happens is, is, you know, the more you use it, the more it becomes more second nature. Like if I'm not doing cases for a week, I get rusty. So, but I'm always constantly researching more cases I do. You know, it's like people come to me with 18 different supplements or 50 different supplements. When in reality, it's like you could, you know, there's a practitioner out there that 
does $3,300 monthly protocols that you basically become a human pets dispenser. Okay. When I look at the protocol, I'm like, Jesus H he's got every pathway covered, but at, you know, incredibly high dosages using their brands and just you're, you have no life. You're tied to the pillbox. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you don't know what's working. The thing is, is you want to start off with the least variables. So when people come into me fresh, that is like the best client because that way it's like, listen, we can get a fresh picture of what's going on. The problem is, is when people come like, why well, stop this, edit this, edit this, edit that. I'm like, when did you do that? Oh, in the past month. So how can we get a clinical picture of what's going on? Okay. I just have people come in, continue doing what they're doing. Let's get a clinical snapshot of where we're at now. Okay. Instead of moving too many variables and then let's start fresh from there. Okay. Or you see a person's taking like milk thistle, dandelion, artichoke, tutka. And it's like, you just see all this liver support with more bitters. I'm like, listen, tutka can cover all this. Okay. Easily. Now, you know, tutka is one of the best things you can do for bioflow as clinical. You can, I also use it in ALS. We do heavy dosages of tutka and ALS. We do heavy dosages of tutka and SIBO because it opens up the bioflow. It does, it's it taurine, it's conjugated. Like when people have um, deconjugation of bile acids because of mold, you can use tutka, okay? But you have to make sure, you know, glycine and taurine have to be balanced because they have the same principle. They back each other up, but you still have to have the balancing game, okay? Same thing with minerals. Take too much vitamin D, you drop vitamin A, E, and K. So people that take vitamin D, they don't take K2 or they're not taking enough K2. I can't tell any people who took vitamin D for years end up with cavities and enamel ripped off the teeth. The reason being is, is their K2 was low. And then because their microbiome was off, they weren't converting MK4, you know, they weren't converting vitamin K to MK4 or MK7 because you have to have the proper biome in order to convert, you know, certain vitamins into the coenzymatic forms. Can I ask you, it seems like you do spend a lot. I was always, you know, very, I always took something away, multiple things away after each of our calls. Do you have an educational type program that where you teach clients what you know? <laughs> what I'm trying to do is, is I'm, I'm working on taking the organic acid test, the Dutch test, the Omega quant blood work and GI maps. And what I'm doing is, is I'm formulating and a breakdown of all those from a biochemical standpoint, genetic standpoint, how you can look at, you know, alkaline phosphatase and know you have an FUT2 gene expression because the probability of, you know, when alkaline phosphatase drops below 50, that's an indication of some type of gut issue, specifically on the mucosa barrier, because the alkaline phosphatase is actually secreted by the villi. And the alkaline phosphatase actually gets rid of LPSs. So that often tells you got that leaky gut going on just by one marker on a blood test. The data that I've seen clinically, they say 50 or below. I'm actually starting it. The data that I've seen was 86. Anything below 86 could be an indication of some kind of problem, but I'm setting mine at about 70 just to play safe. Are you, cause I want to backtrack cause I came from the pharmaceutical industry. Ranges were huge. Are you submitting that information to researchers, John Hopkins, and seeing that the fact that they need to change some of these rates, are you submitting that? clinical data? <laughs> I'm just collecting clinical data to, you know, and heighten my awareness, being able to isolate things much faster. So where people send you, you know, I had the clients send 200 pages of lab work. I literally sat down with one hour. I had to present that to a doctor. Well, the problem was, is the doctor, I thought it was one doctor. It was a team of doctors. So when I got done, the information I presented 
was within an hour, I was able to map everything out, have the scientific studies, map up the genetics, you know, the potential gene expressions, what testing to do, what the outcomes were, and what modalities to incorporate. So now I know you do, you not only take clients and, you know, help them shift their health, but are you educating? I I understand that you're doing that. That is a scenario alone, but are you, I know doctors that are going to be tuning in will want your services. Are you providing a consultation or a coaching service? What I have right now is this, nothing's really in place, but what I do is this, I do one-on-one mentoring where, you know, people spend thousands and thousands of dollars and what I do is, is I teach them my philosophies. I teach them, you know, the hidden connections and actually see it in practice. I'll go over their lab work and say, listen, you've done a wonderful job here, but how about we look at, you know, how about we get this testing, see how this goes. These recommendations are really good. I see that you're testing your thyroid, but you're testing it, you know, while they're on thyroid and not when they stop taking it. So you might be getting a skewed clinical picture, but then you come back with a Dutch test and they come back with a Dutch test and you see hypothyroid on there and the person's on medication, then it questions like the testing modality, test, the testing methods. So what I try to do is, is I try to help educate the doctors to look things from a different set of lenses, to pull yourself back from being a specialist, being a generalist, okay? And it's like, wow. My client to spend $100,000. I said, your client's up in Canada. Your client is inside. Your client has mold, okay? You need the sunlight in order to stimulate the MSH in order to get rid of the mold, to reduce pro-inflammatory cytokines. So this is what I recommended her to do. Go to the tanning bed three times a week. Within three weeks, symptoms were 60% better. It was all because of sunlight deficiency and her not having the ability to decrease the pro-inflammatory cytokine storm that the lack of the MS, her gut also healed up too, because you need MSH in order to regulate the gap junctions within the gut. That's in literature. Alpha MSH stimulates the recovery of the gap junctions. So lack of sunlight, lack of the proper wavelength was all she needed. She didn't need all this other stuff. It was nice to have the binders and stuff on board, but she didn't need this menagerie of supplementation, you know? She just needs somebody looking at it from a different set of lenses. And these were all functional medicine doctors because they were trying the, this protocol, that protocol, this protocol. That's why doctors have a hard time replicating what I do. There are no protocols. We yeah, do I was going to ask philosophy. you that. Are, are you training, you know, other doctors and physicians to do what you do? Or is that a, would that be a difficult task to take on? No, it's, it's really not a difficult task because like I said, if you just utilize those type of testing that I mentioned, that's all you have to do really. And here you are cutting out thousands of dollars worth of lab work with just a simple test. And that's why I'm trying to isolate the variables and the hidden connections with pinpoint accuracy that have worked for me to where clients come in and they're like, I'm like, why did you do this test? Why did you do that test? Okay, it's great to know that you have infections, but we can use, you know, monolaurin or we could use allicine to help that out. You know, we don't need to know, you know, it's nice to have a viral panel. Yes. But the thing is, you know, your immune system's out. So you know that viruses are going to probably be expressing. So you put that into the equation of figuring out what to do, you know, and Usually, you know, you go to a good doctor, they do a lot of good blood work, but they're looking, oh, you have HSV-1 or HSV-2 or Epstein-Barr virus, we're going to give you monolorn. But then the fact is, is they forget that, you know, they have an occupation that they were exposed to, to glyphosates or 
that they had an exposure to petroleum or that their house was built on a specific region. Okay. That's why a lot of people down in New Mexico and Arizona are super Hajimotos because then what happened was the nuclear testing from Nevada, the blew over in the 1950s and 60s. Yes. That's why there's a huge outbreak of Hajimotos out there. I know of somebody that had that. Yeah. Radioactive. You know, nobody's going to think about that. You know, even the top level functional medicine doctors and functional medicine and traditional medicine has its places. The thing is, is what I'm finding is, is they are turning molehills into mountains. And what we try to do here is, is we try to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have a mass cell activation. I'm like, okay, what are they doing? We're doing this, this, and this. I said, okay, do you understand that if you run a GI MAPS test, you'll probably find out that Morganella is in there, Klebsiella, Pseudomonas. These are all heavy histamine producers, okay? That's going to affect your diamino oxidase pathway. That's going to cause your copper soroloplasmin ratios to go off. So here you are going to the root cause protocol, trying to get your copper and soroloplasmin in, when the fact is, is infections will cause the same damn thing. Once you take care of the infections, once you take care of the mold, once you take care of the other factors, that will correct itself. I'm not saying not to support it, which I do. I take a combination of a hundred different practitioners or more leading. And what I do is, is I blend it together. So that way it's like, okay, we know you got ceruloplasm, we know got copper issues, but what I'm doing is, is I'm going after knowing I know now from Mike McAvoy told me, he's like, Sean, he's like, I treated the mold and guess what happened? The copper and ceruloplasm got back to normal. So but I still will support that. Okay. Because you have to support the pathway. It's like antidepressant. It's like you have to give an antidepressant until you find the root cause of the problem, which could be a traumatic brain injury right. or any kind of neuroinflammatory response. Like I just did the Labrics neurotransmitter test. I knew I got a mold hit where I was. You could see those neurotransmitters fly through the roof, brain on fire. I actually got my, you know, my lab test done. My C-Rac protein was 57, which is extremely high. And that was because what happened was it was a buildup. The mold was there. We, we identified that mold was there. It was all over the, in the crossbait. That was overlooked because the person who was investigating it didn't have the capacity to climb up the ladder. Although she did an incredible job of what was seen, but that was brewing up there for years. And you could see my levels. You could see my SHBG starting to climb. You could see my cholesterol levels starting to drop. Can I ask you, because when I was in the mold community, people would post on the forums and they would say, you know, I lived in mold for, we had no clue we had mold and and the wall near the window where we all, my husband and I slept. I had symptoms, but my husband did not. I mean, do you hear that often? And why is that? (laughs) There's a gene called HLA. What happens is the HLA predis, you know, there's 25% people have it. Yeah. So it's just one of the major genes, but if they have NAT, the other pathways that are associated with the aldehydes, okay? It's not the mold that causes the problem. It's the mycotoxins. And maybe they have a capacity where they're B1 deficient. Maybe they were a health nut and they were on gluten-free diet, okay? Maybe because gluten-free, you don't get B1, okay? And then also B1 is, you know, studies have shown that B1 actually reduces the aflatoxin from aspergillus. That has been shown in clinical studies. Um, the work, I follow the work of Elliot and Overton, which is phenomenal when it comes to thiamine. Okay. Him and Dr. Lonsdale really opened my eyes. And the thing too is, is B1 drives the pancreatic enzymes. So if you're B1 depleted and the reason being is, is 
most people are walking around with non-alcoholic fatty liver. The problem is the non-alcoholic fatty liver is coming from the byproducts of the intestinal dysbiosis going on. And some of those byproducts, as I mentioned before, are alcohol-based. So basically you're working around with brewer's yeast and you're walking around drunk and you're walking around with a non-alcoholic fatty liver that's doing, guess what? Lowering your B vitamins, lowering your zinc, messing with your thyroid, okay? There was a case that I worked on that we actually measured her levels and she was actually a legal alcoholic in that response. And the reason being was, is her blood alcohol content was extremely high because her body didn't have the genetic capacity to get rid of it. Sure. Mm, what we did from that standpoint was we put her on a ketogenic diet. Once we put her on a ketogenic diet, that removed the byproducts from the carbohydrates. So this was a case about 10 years ago from University of Maryland. Wow. They had no explanation why. It's because she had a genetic defect in her alcohol dehydrogenase pathway wow. that she could no longer do carbohydrates. And once I removed and once I said, listen, she's producing water grain alcohol because of, of her inability to get rid of what's causing it in the first place, which was yeast infection. Interesting. Wow, man, I'm just blown away. What do you think is going to happen in the next 25 years? Do you see that your expertise is going to start flooding into clinic offices? Or do you think this is the future of, of health? I think then we need to have our healing tribes together. I feel that you need a medical doctor on board. I feel that you need an emotional specialist on board. I feel that you need a person such as myself that looks at every nook and cranny that collaborates with the doctor. Because when we bring the collaboration together, that is when you see major changes. And that's when you have everybody else on board. Personalized medicine is going to be stable because I see a lot of even the, you know, urgent cares now going towards pay because that way they don't have to worry about insurance, but they'll have a, my wife who's a nurse practitioner. She works for an urgent care, but now they're doing telemedicine to where it's a great setup because they're on call 24 hours a day. And if they have a problem, they call in, they pay a certain amount, like a concierge service. Right, right. I looked into that when I was sick. I, I was going to do a concierge service. But unfortunately, it was astronomically high. It was like 30 grand for the year. So, but I, I do think what you said, that tribe approach is so important. And I'm hopeful for the future for that. So yeah, thank you for that. So I want to just kind of wrap up. So Sean, what inspires you every day when you do the work that you do, what keeps you going and keep, keeps you going at it? <laughs> well, my brain always has to have stimulation. Is that the Tom T? <laughs> that's actually the GAD. Okay. Got you. That's the glutamate driven. That's okay. the glutamate that is comped more. So, well, actually my comp's opposite. My comp is actually low dopamine, not high dopamine. I'm more towards Parkinson's okay. rather than high. But what happens is the GAD compensates for that. I'm also BHMT, which, you know, compensates for the COMT because that's the epinephrine, norepinephrine. Gotcha. So they all balance themselves out, but it's really the GAD that drives it. It's always just the thirst for knowledge. The fact that you can see things, different patterns, and each case you learn something new. And my clients bring more information to me because I'm very open-minded. And if they have something that they have learned, I'll take a look at it and I'll say, hey, this is a really good article, or I'll say, you know what? The source from this article isn't too reliable, so you really can't put much faith in it, 
but they do bring up some good points. And also seeing the changes in people that you see Pearson, you see a female that's been through fertility issues. You see a person that wants to have kids that have been told not to, but then you find out they have a house with mold in it. Then you, you know, give them a $15 supplement and then they get a call from the fertility clinic saying, uh, we've got now 21 eggs and 17 of them are viable. And then they said it was an error and it wasn't. It was because I took care of a lot of things and got her system back online. And she goes, what does this mean? I said, well, you can start your own national, you can start your own NFL football team. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. What's your goals for, what do you want to do in the future? What's your goals for matrix health wellness? Goals is to eventually be an educator. Goal is to eventually be, have those doctors, have those challenging cases, send them up to me for review. And then what I do is I take my findings, send it back to the doctor and we do like a quick, you know, doc, more like a peer to peer consult. So that way they're like, wow, wait a second. I just had this case. This is what Sean told me. Oh, wow. It really worked out well. Okay. So that way they learn in the process, the patients can benefit. Um, I also want to get more into like athletics. I more want to get more into anti-aging avenue. I love chronic illness. It does take a wear and tear on you because it is very challenging. It can be very draining at time, but there's also a reward system too. And those people also need help. So I'll maintain a certain percentage of chronic illnesses, but I'll also be doing that with, you know, maybe have like concierge service for doctors that pay maybe like a X amount of retainer fee per month. And then they can see two, you know, Maybe we'll do two cases per month, just something along those lines to where it's like to be the clinician's clinician. Yes. I love it. Is where I want to go. And I want to make people feel like they're entering the matrix because that's why I named my place matrix health and wellness, because it means bringing everything together. Yes. That's awesome. That's wonderful. The best way to contact, the best way to contact me is through my direct email, which is matrixhealthwell at gmail.com. The website is kind of old. It's kind of, you know, people go through there. I haven't had, you know, time to update it. So if they try to go through the website and they hit the contact, that email is no longer working. So if they use matrixhealthwell at gmail.com, that is the best way to communicate with Fantastic. And you guys, for those that are tuning in, I've got some folks that are on the live chat. I would highly, highly recommend connecting with them through Facebook. He puts amazing information out there. I think you do about several times a week, you're posting studies and then you're backing it up with your knowledge and your interpretation of the study, which Mm -hmm. is fantastic. So I would connect with him on his Facebook page. And he also has an Instagram page. Can you give folks, your handle. It's called the medical savant for both for the Instagram page. It's medical savant, correct? Yes. Okay. And your Facebook page is what? It's my name, Sean Bean. Awesome. Okay. So this has been a really, a very opening chat for me. I mean, I've learned so much. I see folks have asked questions and I highly recommend you guys. And some are making comments. I highly recommend you guys reach out to Sean. It looks like a lot of you guys are wanting help with whatever you're dealing with. So I highly recommend you guys reach out to Sean. You're just like a, I want to say an artist. 
<laughs> can I put you in that category? So what you do, I don't think can be replicated, but I hope to God it does. I hope we can replicate it. There's techniques and simple philosophies that when practitioners see it, they're like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, that's all you had to do. Education. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I, I hope to God that you put something out there in the universe to help educate a lot yeah. of these people that need it. Uh, I, do, I, do I, I do one-on-one with mentoring, which is very unique because that way it's one-on-one. It's not like online, but mm-hmm. actually physically one-on-one with me, which is unique. And I think people get a lot out of it. I'd like to get maybe like 10 practitioners to a class. And that way I can actually, you know, lower the price down a bit because I want to make things affordable people in the process. Because yeah. there's people out there that are charging fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars and when they go through it, I'm like, they're like this protocol. I'm like, I'm going to teach you how to think. I'm not going to spoon feed you. Okay. You're going we to. Need that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, Sean, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I know you're super busy. New dad with 15 month old twins. Oh, absolutely. And, and you're just, I mean, you just had appointments before we met. So you're just a busy guy. And I really appreciate you being willing to come on my podcast. Thank you so much. I'm it's honored. Pleasure, Julie. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys. And if you want to catch the replay on this episode, you can look at my Facebook page and YouTube, but also this will be available for a podcast episode on the Flip and Ship podcast available on many multiple platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio. We're everywhere, you guys. So thanks again. Have a great day. Wow. What a great episode and a special thank you to our expert today. I hope today's episode inspired you, empowered you, and gave you some hope today. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. Cheers, my friend. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, review, or even share this podcast to someone who needs hope and inspiration. You can connect with me at www.flipinshift.com. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and even Clubhouse at Flip in Shift. Please join me next time for another expert chat or Survivor Talk.